I got to have some good time with my oldest son last weekend and, and was away. And one of the things that I've always told people about Highland Park is uh, I've never had to choose between my job and my family. And not every preacher feels that way. In fact, most preachers don't. And so thank you uh, that you've always loved our family and encouraged uh, the ministry staff to be mindful and to be able to care and to be able to love their family. Uh, that's just been a great blessing and one that I don't take for granted. I uh, want to just share a couple of quick things with you before we jump into our sermon time today. Uh, one is you, you may know that uh, Highland Park is partnering with Mental Health of Oklahoma in several significant ways, and we continue to explore those. In fact, we'll be meeting, uh, several of us uh, from Highland Park will be meeting with them tomorrow to see, uh, explore some of their housing options and how that works and how we can maybe partner with them in that. But the, I wanted just to tell you about this green card. I put these green uh, little business card looking things on this table right out here. And if you would like to take some home, you can. But uh, it talks about the Better Way program. The Better Way program is a joint partnership between Middle Health Oklahoma and the city of Tulsa to provide work for people that need work like right then. So actually a van will come pick somebody up and can, and can take them for the day, provide hot meals, uh, provide them a job for that day, and while they're at the job, also find out uh, what are the other obstacles that this person is facing in life. Uh, maybe uh, there is an addiction issue or a mental health issue or a housing issue or uh, an, just an employment issue. And so while they're actually there, the goal is not to just give people a job for a day. The goal is to connect them to services to help their lives in the future. And that's, that's the kind of model that Highland Park loves, the kind of model that we get behind. And so you're welcome to take one of these home. I actually took a picture of the back of it just so I could have it on my phone with me in case I don't have one of those cards. But if you want some of these, they're out there. And that way, if you see somebody um, who is in need of help, this is something that you can say, hey, can I call this number for you? Like some, and so that you could actually um, uh, work today or tomorrow and, and have the income that you might need for whatever emergency you might have and connect you further. So just wanted to, to uh, let you know about that. Uh, today we're going to be uh, talking about gentleness as we preach through the fruit of the Spirit. Next week is self-control, everyone's favorite sermon. And we're going to be actually looking at the time where I think Jesus exhibited more self-control than uh, is humanly possible, and yet he did. And so we're going to be looking at when Jesus was in the garden and the blades came out. How did Jesus handle that situation? And so um, then we got a couple of bonus sermons for you. And then we're going to begin a five-week series that will lead us through Easter called Between Two Trees, uh, in which we look at the tree in the garden from Genesis where sin entered the world. And then the very last pages of your Bible in Revelation talk about a, a tree where healing happens. And we find ourselves in between those two trees, living this out. And so it's a really great theological series of understanding, here's, here's why I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing in light of all that we learn from the Bible. It'd be a great series to be bringing your friends to and guests to and people who maybe don't know the gospel at all because in five weeks we'll walk through all of the major themes of the Bible and uh, that, that'll be a, a really good time together. So I wanna encourage you to be, to be part of that as well. Um, also, uh, I wanted to just this morning 
um, to acknowledge that Highland Park leaders and especially Matt and our youth ministry team are praying about and aware that there is a virus um, that is impacting some travel in some different places, including some parts of Italy. And you know that our kids have worked incredibly hard to raise money and have been praying and preparing and learning Italian and all of these things. And so we're aware of that. And we just want to ask you, would you be praying with us? Our prayer is um, that, you know, over the course of, of the next week or two, that it will be clear that it's safe for our team to go to the region where they are going, which thankfully right now is a long ways away from where there's major issues. But in a fluid issue like this with all of those things, we just want to pray about it. And so would, can we just all pause for a moment and, and just pray uh, for God's blessing in that? Lord, um, we just want to lift up, uh, first of all, uh, folks who've been impacted in very real ways um, by the virus. We ask for your peace, for your help. We're thankful for the way that Christians have engaged in different places in the world to love people and to care for people, and we pray that that would continue. And Lord, we also uh, want to lift up uh, the trip planned for our students. It's been planned for a long, long time, and there's been so much work. And we pray that um, a pathway would open that would be safe and good and incredibly life-changing for our students to participate still in that trip and would change lives where they go. Uh, Lord, that is our prayer. And uh, Lord, we also just recognize that you are good and you know far beyond what we know. And so we also just ask for your wisdom um, for our, our leaders and for those uh, missionaries on the ground there advising us. Uh, we just ask for your help in all of that and we trust you in all of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Luke chapter 8, and as we, we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit, today we're talking about uh, uh, gentleness. And, you know, I'm really great at being gentle until I'm not. <laughs> and then I really struggle with it. And that's the thing I was thinking about gentleness is you can lose it in a second, right? You can be gentle for like 23 hours and 59 minutes and still blow the day. Uh, just one harsh word, you know, one overreaction, your temper flares and you've wounded somebody you love or maybe somebody you don't even know. And so gentleness is a big topic for us. To begin with, I, I want to uh, show you two videos and it's, it's like those Two of those videos you have to watch really closely to tell the difference, but there is a difference between these two videos. Let's go ahead and watch video number one. Okay, everybody notice that horse? Okay, I just want you to notice it. Okay, now video number two. This horse is slightly different. There's something different about it. Just watch carefully. Okay, could you tell the, any difference at all, okay? <laughs> One of them galloping 40 miles per hour, and the rider, you know, just as smooth as the rider can be, and the other looks like a puppy dog just rolling around in the, in the mud. Well, uh, I, I want you to think about animals for a moment, because in the ancient world, the, the word gentle was often used to describe animals. 
Plato actually used the word gentle to describe uh, a beast that was under the control of its owner. Aristotle used the word gentle to describe an elephant that was under the control of its owner. And I think a really helpful definition of gentleness is just this, strength under control. And for a Christian, that gentleness means strength under the control of the Holy Spirit. But when you, when you look at that word gentleness, don't start with the under control. Actually, a better way is to start with the strength, like the raw power that is then placed under control. That's a better way to think about this word gentleness. There's only two people in the Bible who are actually described directly as gentle. Lots of people are told about and we see a gentle spirit in them, but those two people are Moses and Jesus. And when, when Moses was being doubted and disrespected, God said, hey, this is Moses. He's led you out of uh, slavery and where you were, and he's done so in a gentle way. Moses is gentle, great power under the control of God. And of course, Jesus is the greatest example of gentleness that the world has ever seen, power under the lordship, under control. So in Luke chapter 8, we're going to read one of the craziest stories in the Bible and, uh, and see how Jesus' gentleness interacts here uh, with a, a pretty bizarre thing that happens. You could preach a lot of different sermons on this. But we're going to begin in Luke chapter 8, verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stopped, stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. 
It's a lot going on in this story. It's not every day you read a story about demon-possessed pigs running off a cliff and drowning. There's a lot to talk about here. But I want to... I want to mention three things about gentleness that become evident in this text. And the first is this. Gentleness demonstrates God's power. We see God's power all through this. Jesus shows up, and this demon-possessed man is afraid of Jesus. That says something about Jesus' power and God's power. And you think about how frightening it would have been to meet a man like this, to come across the path, you get out of the boat, and here's this crazy man, uh, and nobody can contain him. He's got, he can break chains, he can get away from anybody, and, and Jesus has no fear of this man. We see his power. But, but Jesus doesn't just you know, shoot him with you know, a lightning bolt or tackle him and subdue him. He demonstrates God's power through his gentleness. That God's power doesn't have to be through smacking somebody down or pushing them down or, or beating them at their own game. Proverbs 25, 15 says, Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded. And I love this next part. And a gentle tongue can break a bone. Ooh, what a great proverb. One gentle word could change a family dynamic. One gentle word could take a situation that's about to get really hostile to a situation that's under control. One gentle word could change someone's whole opinion of you. One gentle word could disarm a community that's about to be in an uproar. One gentle word. I had a friend named Jonathan who um, is this uh, real big guy, his Family was first generation from Nigeria, and Jonathan was about an inch or two taller than me. Um, he's got real long hair, and he's about 99% muscle. One of the strongest guys I've ever been around, and, and when we played basketball together, it was just like if you hit him, it was like hitting a brick wall. And he's got these big old huge shoulders, super soft-spoken, uh, really, really smart person, and um, and never, never got in fights or anything like that, uh, even though he was built like he could have you know, conquered the world. And I remember one day playing basketball, and there was a, a kind of a young guy, about 20, who had showed up who was playing with us, and this guy was always running his mouth. He was always just kind of talking trash and being disrespectful and saying stuff, and he was kind of like always agitating people. And he, it was not fun to play with at all because everybody else there was kind of cool and laid back and having fun, and this one guy just kept at it, kept at it, and I was kind of in charge of the whole thing, so eventually I was like, hey, dude, you got to knock it off, because I was afraid he was going to start a fight with somebody, and when I said that, he, this, this guy like bowed up real big and came right into my face and said, you want to go right now? And right when he said that, this huge shadow came behind me. <laughs> Jonington just came and stood right behind my left shoulder, not even even with me, but right behind me, and didn't say anything. And I'm pretty sure that this guy was intimidated by both of our muscles combined. <laughs> um, it was both of us together. And you know who I'm talking about, Omar Omar knows Jonington. Were you there that day? Uh, I don't think I was. Okay. Um, but Jonington stood here, and this guy just kind of was like, Never mind, I'm sorry. You know, he was, he was done. And, and um, I've always thought about how 
Jonathan in that moment, there was a gentleness about him. This incredible strength that was under control and even used for good, specifically for my good in that moment. <laughs> and, and when we think of gentleness, we, don't, we can't think of somebody weak uh, or somebody who has zero power or somebody that the world just rolls all over and then they can't do anything. No, gentleness is power, God's power um, under control, letting God work through us. So as we work through here, and we're going to come back to this later, but there's just some questions I want to ask you. And here's this question number one. In what situation do you need to replace your efforts to control with gentleness that can demonstrate God's power. And so instead of trying to control everything and fix everything and, and running around, that there's a gentleness in you that demonstrates God's power, that demonstrates that God has your back, that he's standing right there with you. Secondly, gentleness not only demonstrates God's power, but secondly, gentleness requires compassion, courage, and sometimes confrontation. In verse 29, did you catch where the people of the town had driven him? Man, this verse just popped off the pages to me. It said they drove him to solitude, that the demons drove him to solitude. The people wanted him away, and the demons took him away to solitude. And I'm wondering, I think we could preach a whole sermon series on how demons try to drive us to solitude. How, how demons want to push us away from the community and the people we most need in our lives. And what a shame it is when human beings do the work of the demons for them. And we shove people away and say, get away from here, away from here. You scare me. You're different than me. Stay away from me, away from me, afraid, away from me. And what does Jesus do? He interrupts that person's solitude, doesn't he? He interrupts this man's solitude. He goes right to him. He doesn't, doesn't run away and doesn't let the man stay in his darkness and in his sorrow. And sometimes the most holy thing that you can do is just to interrupt someone's solitude, even if they don't want you around in that moment. Because solitude can be a good thing for a little while, but it's not a good place to live your whole life. And Jesus goes there. And so I want to ask you one question here is, whose, whose isolation or solitude do you need to interrupt? Just asking that question, I bet you somebody perhaps came to mind, and you need to interrupt their isolation, their, their loneliness away. But gentleness is this compassion and this courage and this confrontation. And sometimes gentleness, in order to be gentle to one person, you have to rebuke somebody else. We see this of Jesus. Every time Jesus becomes angry in the New Testament, which isn't a whole lot of times, but the few times that it happens, it's because he becomes angry at somebody because that's the best way to be kind to somebody else. He says, hey, Pharisees, quit making it difficult for these people to come to God. Quit making up rules that make it difficult for these people. Hey, quit, quit ruining the worship that's supposed to happen in the temple, including the worship for the Gentiles, and quit running them out and cheating the poor and doing that. And so sometimes we have to rebuke somebody in order to be kind to somebody else. That's what we see of Jesus. It's this gentleness 
in him. And that confrontation can be difficult. Jesus, at the Sermon on the Mount, said this, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to, to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to, to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. See, Jesus could have come at this man and made him the enemy because this guy certainly treated everybody like they were his enemy. But Jesus doesn't do that. He does the opposite of what we would think. He does the opposite of the instinct of, to, I gotta beat down this guy, I gotta, I gotta show everybody that I'm more powerful than this guy, I gotta prove something. No, Jesus comes in gentleness. Loving our enemies is one of the most incredible ways that we can show God's goodness. Number three, gentleness distributes grace even to your enemies. Julian was an emperor in Rome for just a couple of years in the mid-fourth century. And he, uh, he despised Christianity. He wanted everyone to worship the Roman gods. And he had a complaint that he wrote about. Let me read just a little summary of it. He said this, I regret the progress of Christianity because it has pulled people away from the Roman gods. The Christian faith has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers. It is a scandal that there is not a single one of them who is a beggar and that they not only care for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for help. So do you see his problem here? I hate Christianity, but they keep taking care of everybody, so they keep growing. And we don't do anything to anybody. <laughs> Isn't that really insightful? That he actually had the honesty to admit, man, Christianity is growing like crazy because they're caring for people. Maybe we should do what they do so that more people will worship the Roman gods. But it's hard to worship the Roman gods when they're not built on truth and love. And Christianity was. See, their gentleness was distributed all around them. Grace to you and to you and to you and gentleness to you and to you and to you. First Peter 3 is a chapter. You should read the whole chapter this afternoon. But let me just read this one little bar, uh, part of it. Do not fear their threats. You see, there was lots of threats to the people. They were being persecuted when this letter was written. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So when we think about defending the faith, we think about like apologetics and having the right answers for people, um, we, we need to be wise and we need to study. and We, we want to be deep thinkers about things of faith. But we must also equally think about how we defend the faith. How do we have those conversations? 
Because if they're not with gentleness and respect, they aren't an adequate representation of the gospel of Jesus. Because the gospel of Jesus is meant to be said with gentleness, respect, this softness, this love, this welcome. Matt Smethurst um, wrote, uh, he said, Jesus has told you that people will hate you because of him. He says, but there's a big difference between people hating you because of what Jesus has said and hating you because you're a jerk. <laughs> I think he's onto something. And as Christians, we must realize that we will be rejected oftentimes because of what we believe. But we need to make sure that if we're rejected, it's based on the teachings of Jesus and acting like Jesus and not just because we're trying to tell it like it is, okay? Or we're trying to beat somebody up or to win an argument. Uh, Dave, and, Dave and I got to go hear an author named Ed Stetzer speak a couple weeks ago uh, up at Ozark Christian College. And I, he really helped me understand something that I want to just share with you because I think it'll make some light bulbs go off for you. Christians today, we feel marginalized. We, we feel like we're gonna, getting pushed to the corners of our uh, country and of our culture and uh, he did some really in-depth research. You can read his book, Christians in the Age of, Outra Out Christians in the Age of Outrage. It's a great book where he uh, kind of goes through all of the, the research and all of that stuff. But uh, there's actually a misinterpretation of what's been happening because uh, they've done some pretty uh, incredible studies beginning all the way back in the 1930s where they tried to figure out how much of the American population would be considered a convictional Christian. In other words, somebody who uh, trusts the Bible, um, that is God's word, and that they put Jesus first in their life, and that they uh, care about uh, the church, and they serve, and they give like those things that, would, that you're not just kind of like a little bit of a Christian every now and then. Like you're, you really believe it with all your heart, you're following Jesus. That group of people... Um, 1930 to 2020, you want to guess how it's trended? Here's how it's gone. It's the same. It's in the low 20%, low to mid 20%. Has it has barely changed. There's been a few little wiggles in it. Has hardly changed at all. So why do we feel marginalized today? Ah, because while there's, you know, 20, 2, 3, 4, 5% of people who are convictional Christians and serving Jesus as their, as their top priority, that has remained the same. There's this other segment of people who might be atheist or uh, might have a uh, really despise Christianity, have nothing to do with faith and God. That group has gotten a little bit bigger, but then there's this big middle group of people who might go to church on Easter people who, who might mark it on a survey and say, yeah, I'm a Christian, uh, people who um, would say, oh, yeah, yeah, my, I'm a Christian because my grandma went to church, um, but people who would not fit in the category of convictional Christians, that's a big group there in the middle that for decades always sided with the Christian group. And in the last 10 to 15 to 20 years, they don't side with the Christian group culturally anymore. They side with this group culturally. Is there a light bulb going off for anybody here? And so the group of convictional Christians has stayed about the same. 
which that's not great. We want that group to grow. But this group here in the middle um, that has wavered in their faith or hasn't had a deep faith in Christ, um, they, they, they are not with us anymore culturally. They're probably against us culturally, by and large. And that's probably only going to continue. That's the way the trends are. So what do we do about it, church? I think that's one of the great questions we have to ask. Like as a church, as a Christian, as a believer, what do we do about that? I don't have all of the answers, but I know this. It has something to do with gentleness. In how we treat them, in how we treat the other, it matters a lot. And our greatest goal, right, is to help people follow Jesus. Our greatest goal is to do that. If, if Jesus were to write a letter to, to the church in America today, or if the Apostle Paul were to write a letter uh, to, the, to Highland Park Christian Church today, it seems unreasonable to think that that letter would say, man, you've got to beat the other side up culturally. You've got to get those laws back in your favor. That should be your top priority is get those laws in your favor. You should, and, and beat them up, whatever, shame them if you need to, be mean if you need to, but win, 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 win. That doesn't seem like any of the teachings of the New Testament. Does that mean that, we, that Christians have to bail on the political process? Nope, I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that I think if Jesus were to write a letter to us, he would say, here's the, here's the thing. Don't forget the main thing is to love people, to draw people to me. And if people... If people don't know me and don't follow me, then the worst thing you could do is to call them stupid because they disagree with you or they disagree with your beliefs in God or they disagree with your beliefs in politics. The worst thing that you could do is say, uh, man, you're an idiot for believing that because those are the very people that Jesus wants to follow him. So we have to keep the main thing the main thing here. And, and keep pursuing and helping people follow Jesus. And then with discernment and grace, you know, we enter into political discussions with people, but it has to be clothed with gentleness and, and thinking, what does God really want for us here? In the age of Julian, Christians lived questionable lives, but, but not the kind of questionable of, I'm not sure that was the right thing to do or, or not. Instead, they lived questionable lives in like, now why in the world are they caring for us? What? I mean, like, we hate them, and yet they're caring for my kid? Like, we're, we're arresting them, and yet they took care of my mom? Like, we're, we're speaking terribly about them and trying to get all of culture against them. In fact, I, I, I killed their friend and they're being nice to me, that's a questionable life that we want to live because that will draw people to Jesus in a way that few things can. So I want to ask you, are you living a questionable life? And in what situation do you need to replace your harshness with gentleness so that it can demonstrate God's power? 
I want to say one last word about gentleness and really about all of the fruit. And Corbin, can you go back to a slide where I've got kind of a graph up there? Because oftentimes when we think of the fruit of the Spirit, uh, we think about the human capacity. And so if that, if that first line there was um, uh, gentleness, and each of those represented one of the fruit of the Spirit, and we kind of see like the human capacity is up there at 100, and... Um, and, and so maybe, you know, one of you is at an 80. That's pretty good, right? I mean, you're at 80 out of 100. That's pretty amazing, like, on the gentleness chart, right? But here's the beautiful thing about the fruit of the Spirit. Can we hit the next picture? That the fruit of the Spirit is not contained by the human capacity. Because the Holy Spirit's work in our lives helps gentleness like bust through the human barrier so that you can be more gentle to someone than is even humanly possible. You can have more joy in your life than is humanly possible. You can have more goodness and faithfulness and self-control in your life than is humanly possible because it's the fruit of the Spirit. And God's Spirit takes us beyond our own capacities, which have a lit have a lid on them, and instead takes us way beyond where he can do immeasurably more in us. And so that's the kind of gentleness we're after, the fruit of the Spirit kind that's beyond, and that only happens with God's work in us. I want to give you just a couple moments this morning to reflect on what we've been talking about in this idea of gentleness and there's a slide that um, we're going to put up here that will just ask you some questions, these same questions um, you can see in your sermon page. And I'm just going to give you a couple moments, and I just want to ask you, would you take advantage of these few quiet moments that we have and, and talk to the Lord and encourage him to talk to you? Uh, and I believe that when we do that, God interacts with us in supernatural ways. And just work through these questions. In what situation do you need to replace your harshness with gentleness? How do you need God's courage to be gentle? Whose isolation do you need to interrupt? Is your gentleness causing unbelievers to ask questions?
the truth is that we'll always struggle with gentleness until we believe, really believe, that God is gentle with us. And I want you to know that God comes in gentleness to you. And this morning, if you've been harsh with somebody else, maybe you've even had harsh thoughts about God, I want you to know that he's looking at you with a gentle heart, a welcoming hands to embrace you and to care for you and to love you, to guide you. And this morning, if you would like someone to pray with you, we'll have some folks up front and they'll have little name tags on and you'll know who they are if you come up here, who would be glad to pray with you. If maybe one of those questions you're like, whew, I, I need to like just sit in on that one and let God work on me and ask somebody to pray for you. We'll have folks up here who would love to do that. If you've never decided to follow God, then I want you to know he is a gentle savior who is, is ready to embrace you. And again, our folks up here would love to visit with you about that and pray with you uh, even during this next song. Would you stand and let me pray for us? God, thank you that you come to us in gentleness when we deserve harshness. And I pray that that would change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.